everyone and welcome to Round 15 episode for 2019 of Refs Roundup. It's great to be back in the studio to chat about the weekend's games and what's been happening in the world of refereeing. And a very lovely welcome to my favourite NRL referee and my favourite husband, Gavin Badger. Hello, Gavin. Hey, Case. Round 15 isn't a great one for officiating, was it? We um, sort of shot ourselves in the foot a little bit. So, yeah, as it happens sometimes... Instead of you know one or two errors, we had quite a few across a number of games, so it's not going to go down in the histories of great performances for for the NRL officials. But um, it's something that happens sometimes, and we'll only be better than that next week, hopefully. Yeah, well, there's definitely plenty of um, plenty of talking points for us this week, so we'll uh, get straight into it. We'll just skip straight to the GPS data to, to start with because we've got lots lots of talking points this week. Um, this week, uh, our marathon runner. It's, Really good to see that this guy won the award this week. It went to Matt Noyan, and he hit just under 11.2 kilometres as the assist referee um, in the game that I was um, that I was on up in Newcastle, um, where Newcastle took on the Broncos. And what's great to see about that is that it was Matty Noyan's first game back in 12 weeks um, from a long calf injury. Yeah, and it's awesome to see Matty get out there and be able to, to run those distances, distances. And I spoke to him after the game and um, he said he pulled up quite well. So um, happy days for Matty. It's glad to see him, you know, really glad to see him back because I, you know, I got to see how hard he really worked to get back on the field. And just like players, you know, referees hate missing missing games. We work really hard to get out there and, and take every opportunity. And for Matty to get out there and, and go well in that game was a credit to him and, and our performance staff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um... He said he felt every one of those 80 minutes and there was actually, there was a time in the game where um, the ball got shifted from side, pretty much side to side, four times within the same play and when they went back the fourth time, he let out an audible groan, (laughs) um, which took the rest of us um, having to bite our tongues to make sure we didn't um, laugh at that. And and a quick thing on that is Matty ran uh, two weeks ago in the Canterbury Cup as an assist ref. And then last week he also ran a game in the Jersey Fleet competition yeah. as, a, as a head ref. And so went through those two games unscathed. But like we always say, there's nothing like the speed of NRL to, to knock you about a bit. And, and it knocked him about. Yeah. Um, urgency award this week went to Dave Munro. Um, fantastic to see as well. Um, he hit the high Axel and D-cell um, speeds 99 times as the touch judge in the Roosters and Storm game. So um, not surprising to see someone from that match win one of the awards this week, being such a high-quality match. Um, actually probably lends itself to someone winning the Urgency Award in that um, with such a hotly contested game, unless there's a breakaway try... Um, you generally wouldn't get a Gazelle award in that type of game. Um, and even similar with mar- with the marathon runner, depending on the, on that style of game. But in terms of the urgency in getting into position and quick shifts, um, you know, obviously that game would have been physically demanding. Yeah, and he's also coming, Dave's also coming off the high of his first origin match as well. So I'm sure he wanted to go out there and, you know, players talk about, you know, being that guy that goes back the next week and, and has a good performance. And obviously Dave's gone out there working really hard to make sure that he's in the best positions to, to be, you know, make the best decisions. And Gazelle of the Week this week goes to what someone once coined the ugly version of Gavin Badger. Um, <laughs> the uglier version. It <laughs> goes to uh, Phil Henderson. And he clocked up just over 30 kilometres an hour as the assist referee in the Bulldogs and Sharks game. Yeah, he's won a couple of these, Hendo, and he, um, he, he can move. 
yeah, gen, um, continues to, to take out these awards each week. Um, so as we mentioned at the top of the show, plenty of uh, controversy this week. So we'll um, knock off about uh, four or five of those um, straight off the top. Uh, the first one actually occurred in your game on Thursday night in the Parramatta Souths game. No, sorry, West Tigers. I got confused. It was, <laughs> that it was Bank at Bank West. West, yeah. um, West Tigers and Souths game. Um, and there was the eye gouge incident. Yeah, so uh, as nearly everyone would have seen, so right under the post, um, there's a tackle on Robbie Farrow. There's numbers in the tackle, and uh, George Burgess reaches around and and you know he's around the face and, and the eye of, of Robbie Farrow. Um, and the, the the you know all the the drama out of this isn't the you know fact that we missed it because it was penalised on field and and the referee at the time Adam G who I thought did a, a remarkable job just to pick it up live and be able to blow a penalty for it um, sees that you know there's there's a hand around the face and. You know, around that eye area, but it's very difficult for a referee to see live, especially in that situation there, you've got three players in, um, firstly, whose hand it is around the, the face and that when you've got numerous players in there, but also the fact of what actions are done around there. You know, it's quite easy to see where the hand is, but you can't, you know, live pick up exactly what that, that those hands or fingers are doing. So, so it's, all it's the very re- difficult. Yeah, so all the replays, obviously, you know, it looks pretty bad and we can't go in, into depth about it because obviously it's before the judiciary. But um, all of the replays that we're seeing on, you know, the various rugby league TV shows are all showing it in slow motion. And in slow motion, you go, yeah, that looks bad. And, and showing it a couple of times as well. We, we don't have that privilege on the field. And from an angle where neither referee or neither touch judge is standing. Yeah, they're always going to find the best angle they've got of it from from, a ca- from the, the seven various cameras they've got on the ground. So, yeah, yeah, and, and, and you look at it and you say, well, you know, could Bunker intervene? Could, you know, the, could I, as the assist ref, help? Yeah, in, in circumstances we can. But in this one, it just sort of, the, the way it all panned out and the way it played out made it very difficult because of the timing of it all. Um, the, the referee had blown a penalty for what he thought was a facial at the time and, and and penalised for that and put the player on report and by the time replays and stuff had come in like on field we don't see the replays because we're dealing with frustrated players as well so you know I've got um, players from the Tigers coming to me because I'm back with them sort of having a a go at me like Mm. we need to do better and then Adam's obviously dealing with the the South players so we don't get the the privilege of seeing a replay on field so that does make it difficult for us to jump in any further Um, in a perfect world you know, would have loved to you know, to action it, you know, more strongly, um, but in this occasion we didn't. Yeah, or the or the bunker to to have been able to to jump in, but it's almost a case of Adam G being. It's almost like the fact that he made a really good decision in actually seeing something to begin with led us to a point where it wasn't sent off because you don't see the severity of it compared to if Adam hadn't hadn't have seen it at all. And Robbie Farah stays down, or you know, complains, whatever it is. Then the bunker get a long amount of time to look at it, and it may end up being penalised and and sent off. Yeah, it could quite possibly. Could like that's yeah. just plain. It's just a thought that that came to me right now. And with that, with Adam G seeing it, it's quite unusual for us to penalise and therefore send off. Uh, eye gouges. I can't remember. I think you, you were sort of saying you can't ever remember seeing one sent off. Well, I, I know from my experiences, you know, you you have inklings, you have ideas that maybe something's happened, yeah. but you never have the, you know, the the full gamut of, of what you need to mm. see. So it's very difficult to send that off. That's why we use the reporting system for those ones because then you know they can get all the angles yeah. and, and make the appropriate and, actions. And in this one, it's slightly different in that there's no. 
like I called it like a fish hook sort of action, because there's no bend of, of a finger um, and no marks, it doesn't look as obvious to the referee on the field. Yeah, yeah, it, it can, they can be very difficult to, to get live, very difficult. Uh, there was other... Yeah, sorry, yeah, off, off the back of that, so there's obviously quite a few issues over the weekend, but there was also one in your game as well that you could probably talk about as well around the, the James Gavay Simbin in the uh, Newcastle versus the Warriors. Yeah, so this was a, a challenging match all round for... for um, us officials on on the field in that we had um, what we describe as 10 meter pressure and ruck pressure which a lot of the times in NRL games teams are fairly compliant um, and games will either be generally compliant overall or a team will test us on the 10 meters or test us in the rucks every so often we get a game where they test us in both areas. Yeah, they're and, the difficult ones. Yeah, and in this game, it was both teams testing us in both areas. So we had multiple penalties um, <clears throat> on both the 10 metres and in the rucks. So as that penalty count started to mount, and a lot of those at this time were going against Newcastle, um, we got to a few minutes to go in the game and there was a penalty. I can't remember what it was for. I think it may have been a strip. Um, there was a penalty against Newcastle and Ashley Klein, the referee, sort of calls out to um, to Mitchell Pearce and says, Mitchell, cut it out or it's got to improve something to, to that effect. Which um, you see quite often. We, yeah. we do that quite often yeah. when we just need to sort of tip them that we're going down a path that we don't want to stay on. Yeah, so it wasn't call time off, yeah. bring him out, stop the whole game because Brisbane were about to kick for touch. You know, we just we want, let the game flow. We, we talk about ball and play and getting the game yeah. to continually flow. Yeah, so um, Ash is just letting the game flow, still got that message across to Mitchell Pearce. Um, the last, whatever it was, two minutes of the game play out. Um, core half time, as we're walking off the field, Ash goes to Mitchell Pierce and they have that chat again and Ash re reinforces again, you know, this needs to be better. And, and sometimes that conversation between the captain and the referee is filmed, sometimes yeah. that, that as you're walking off and other times they might be interviewing a player. So that, yeah. that, that may not be seen by the general public. Which is exactly the case in this game. Yeah. So that conversation isn't seen with the by the general public. Um, so no one apart from, I guess, everyone on the field, like Mitchell Pearce yeah. and the message he would have taken back to his team and us as the officials um, would have known about it. We go into half time. Um, we come out after half time, kick off. Uh, Jamie Bure knocks on from the kickoff, so we have a scrum. As the scrum is sort of coming together in that, you know, sort of 30-second time period, Ash says to Mitchell Pierce again, because now they're defending their goal line where they had given away a number of penalties. Ash says to him again, Mitchell, it's nothing deliberate down this end. You know, it's got to be better. So this is now the third time that he's said something. Yeah, there's been a conversation. A conversation it. of some description. Um, but again, a third time where no one watching it at home would have heard it or would have known about yeah, it. Like we say, there could have been occasions where everyone could have seen all three, yep. but in this case, no one sees No one's three. seen any. So on the second tackle off that scrum, um, James um, Gave does a bit of a, I think it was like a, a head slam or four, forearm sort of rub on the player on the ground, which was deemed as being quite deliberate and Ashley penalises it and sim bins him immediately. So... To the people sitting at home, they go, oh, where's that come from? And there may have also been a misunderstanding that the Simbin was for the foul play because yeah. they, there was a misunderstanding that um, – because no one had heard those conversations I, in, in the lead-up to it. I think that was probably the biggest misconception out of, it, uh, uh, out of it all was that 
yeah, James Gavet was sin bin for the foul player for that incident in isolation. Yeah, yeah, which it wasn't. And um, so, in, obviously, when we debrief the game, so on Monday, so we go away, we watch our tapes, we put compile playlists together, and we come together on a Monday, um, the four of us on the game with our post game coach and and Bernie Sutton, and we do our debrief. And our main takeaway point from this game was that we probably could have done better in communicating to Newcastle and you know, via the captain, in this case through through Mitchell Pearce, that we had drawn a line in the sand. In the, in the sand. Because if we listen to the, the referee's comms, um, it sounds a bit, <clears throat> not matey, but a bit yeah. less serious. Yeah. But it, at the same time, Ashley's sitting back thinking, well, I've actually warned him three times. I've had three conversations. So our takeaway point was, yes, the Simbin was correct, but we could have had a better process to it because what people lose a lot of the time sitting at home, we've got to remember people sitting at home and commentators and, and the teams as well, is that they factor in that we've just had a 15-minute break for half time, and then people see, bang, a penalty after half time in a Simbin and think, Jesus, where's that come from? But really we've only had but, two minutes of play since the last penalty. Exactly right. And that's what and we as officials take into account. In five minutes. But yeah. we've got that long break in between. Because we in, in the past have been guilty of doing the same thing as officials a couple of years back where mm. we sort of lost the, the timing feel. of it all yeah. because we'd come out of a half-time break and then we'd have two or three more straight after half-time before we went back into, no, this needs to get better. And all of a sudden within you know, eight minutes of game play, we might have had six penalties. Yeah. But because I was spread over two halves... It didn't feel it didn't like feel it. feel like we were being taken on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that, like I said, that was the takeaway point from that one um, and it was quite a big talking point in the public but ultimately, like I said, the, the symbiont was correct, just that our processes could have been better. And that's a big thing about what we do. Even though we walk away going, yeah, we, we were correct in what we did, we always break it down to try and be better and try and work out how we could have done things better and that's a, and that's a big thing you say. The takeaway is that, you know, draw the line in the sand and that's something even though... Technically, we were, we were okay with what we did there. Um, we always are looking to, to improve and be better. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't the only Simbin for the weekend. Uh, in the Warriors and Penrith game, we actually had two, two Simbins in that game. So one was um, Liam Martin was Simbin for repeated infringements, uh, which was definitely the correct um, route um, with the number of penalties Penrith had, had given away. Um, there was talking point around that as well where I think think that uh, James Tarmow must have been off the field at the time when the Simbin happened and so James Maloney at that stage had come up to Jerry Sutton after the Simbin as the captain and th there was discussion around well I didn't know or you didn't tell me and Jerry had said well I'd spoken down like you know it was a minute earlier yeah. or two minutes earlier down on the goal line and he had call called out and had said James this needs to fix to, to, to be fixed up and Jerry also touched on in that game that actually, we don't have to warn. And that's the big thing. But, you know, there's perception out there that the warning has to come. There could be incidents where, you know, penalties come pretty quick back to back to back and we don't have a chance to stop the game because the non-offending time team, uh, you know, wanting to play, so they're, they're going. So we don't have time to get to a captain. So it may get to a point where, you, you know, as, as an official, just think, well, the only way I'm going to stop this or get control of this is to sit somebody down. So, yeah, it'll be very rare that that would happen, but there could be the rare occasions where... Just you know, two or three penalties in that attacking zone where it's just so cynical and obvious that you know what a team is trying to do is slow it down and and you know try and stifle an mm. attacking uh, movement by a non-offending team. We have the option to to sit sit somebody down yeah. for ten minutes. And in this one, the um the mics picked up that 
Jerry had spoken down the other end of the field. So I think the, the comment, yeah, the process was was correct and in place, and um, the commentators were able to pick up on that as well. So it looked a bit cleaner. Um, I guess the other controversy that came with the Liam Martin um, incident was that he returned to the field nearly two minutes. Early, yeah, that's only um, between a minute and a half and a minute yeah, forty yeah. seconds. And we actually spoke last week. We answered a listener question about how does the sin bin clock work, and we spoke about it being ten minutes of game time, not real time. Yeah. So we don't know yet. We haven't sort of heard about you know the investigation in, into how that happened, but potentially that that may have been the reason for it. But in that instance. Um, the Simbin clocks have nothing to do with the on-field officials. Yes, yeah, so, uh, yeah, on-field, we, we have no clue of how long players have been off and, and mainly for the fact that games, you know, games start, stop, you know, we could, we just don't know. It's not our area it's, of responsibility. We, we just don't have the ability to be able to control, you know, when a, a player can come back on and off. So there are, you know, officials off the field that look after all that, that the NRL employ. So the, as, as much as it's an officiating error, this one, it's sort of, we can... Sort of it's an official's error in game officials, but not match officials. We can, yeah, we can sort of downplay yeah. that one from our level a little bit. <laughs> yeah. oh. Thankfully. <laughs> um, the other Simbin in that game was um, deemed as a professional foul, Jerome um, Luai. Um, unfortunately, we got that wrong as a match officials group. So what happened was that Tuovasashek was running with the ball. He drops the ball and then kicks it um, to the official officials on the field. They thought he had just... Kicked, kicked the ball. Yeah. Um, Jerome Luai and Ro- Roger then um, collide and it was deemed by the assist referee that he had, Jerome had taken out Roger in chasing for the ball. So it was a professional, so from his angle, it was a professional foul. So there are a couple of things that played into this. One, when you look on replay, they sort of clipped feet. So it wasn't an intentional takeout, uh, in which case it should have just been play on. But if we even take that out of it, um, because Roger had knocked on before kicking the ball, which the assist ref from behind, who was responsible for clearing the contact, doesn't isn't able to see. They, they are very difficult sometimes when that it's sort of a simultaneous like, oh, did the ball hit the ground or did his foot hit it just before? Especially from behind. Especially from behind. Yeah. They can be without taking away the fact that it's yeah. an incorrect decision. Yeah. So even if the decision was right in terms of the obstruction on Roger. Uh, the fact that it was a knock-on by him should have lent itself to not being a professional foul. So it would have been a penalty, but not a no, simbin yeah. because it's now no longer a try-scoring situation because the Warriors couldn't regather that ball and score. Yeah, and, and that's the big takeout for us on that, that you know, once the ball's knocked on, we're no longer in a try-scoring situation. Yeah. So if the referees had seen that and, and adjudicated that way, it would have just been a penalty yeah. because you still can't tackle a player without the ball, yeah. whether he's knocked on or not. You have to give him the option to, to be able to regather to that. Um, and, and and that really was the error that came out. So essentially out of all of that, the error comes from if if we had seen the knock-on, it's almost like it could have been saved because if the assist referee from behind sees that collision and deems it as um, as a penalty and someone else, so that if, if the, the controlling referee had have seen it, they could have said, okay, no, it's not a Symbian but had just awarded a penalty. Yeah, in a perfect world, that would have been our, our scenario. Yeah. Um, not the only piece of controversy from that game. There was also an incorrect try awarded um, against Penrith. Uh, there was a hand on the touchline. Yeah, and this one, that, without trying to, to, to cover or smother anything, this is an incorrect decision and it's something that shouldn't happen. 
Um, but in this case, we have some processes around. When, when, when there's a video check, the on-field officials, where possible, at some grounds it's easier than others, we also watch what's going on on the screen so we can stay in the decision, we sort of say, yeah, because we can assist because sometimes in the bunker it's a sterile environment and you get fixated on, on looking at one thing. And in this case, you know, we're fixated on looking on the ball and feet and there's a corner post on most of the angles that sort of hides the hand, the hand that actually is the hand that goes out. So on the ground, if, if I'm one of the officials and I can see the screen and I've seen that that, that hand is out, I can then tip into the bunker and say, have you cleared the hand? Yeah. And then they will come and go, okay, we'll go back. Okay. But in this occasion, because obviously the bunker has seven cameras they're looking at at the same time, they can, they can go to whichever one they want, but the um, live feed can only take one. Well, no, no, he had two. So, so but, they've pulled up two uh, split vision screen. They've, they've looked at two, two single yes. ones, then brought in the two screens they bring in together. The two, that's right. But if the, the, the screen that actually shows the infringement isn't on the big screen at the yeah. ground, we as officials on field can't help. So in this instance where they're not showing the one that we needed, uh, we sort of lose a little bit of our resource there as well. Well, it, it's our backup. So ideally we on field as officials, we shouldn't have to make that save as, as you know, as a way to put it, but it's what we call a backup system. That's why we say that we stay in the decision. And he was to, to, to save someone in the bunker and unfortunately, we weren't able and, to. And it's just about utilising all our resources. And, and in this case, um, technology sort of let us down a little bit and human error. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and staying on line with, the, with another bunker error from this weekend, unfortunately, there was another incorrect try awarded to Cronulla um, in their game against the Bulldogs. So there was a um, strip. Was it Britton Nakora? Yeah, there's two in the tackle strip. But because um, the... The ball then goes into the in goal instead of automatically blowing a penalty for a two two person strip. We wait and see what happens. So we try and ball, play an advantage. Yeah. So the ball gets grounded and then, as on field officials, we send it to to the bunker to, you know, firstly work out how that ball's come out and then anything post that. Yeah. And what happened in this one is that the ball was was stripped out, but on the after the ball has come free from his hands, his his other hand hits the ball and. Yeah, you know, then hits the ground, so that's a constitutes a knock on. So it should have been uh, if there was two in the tackle, it would have it would been, been a penalty. Yes, to, it would a have penalty come back to, to them. To Cronulla, um, but unfortunately that touch was missed by the bunker, and it, it's quite it's actually quite close. And I, I was saying to you, I was sort of throwing another angle out there, saying you could actually have a conversation as to whether that player, uh, so yeah, Britain, whether he was playing at the ball when he touched it, because if you're not playing at the ball, then it's not a knock-on. Yeah. It's very rare that we would ever deem that or rule it that way, but it's just another, I guess, thought to, to consider. Yeah, and in the, in this case, though, that wasn't even a consideration, yeah. so we can't even throw that up as going, well, we've deemed that he didn't play at the ball. In this case, it was just we, it was just such a slight touch that we've missed it, and sometimes there's human error involved, unfortunately, and you like to think with the technology that we have, and it's great technology that we don't have these mistakes, but any time, no matter what system you're using, if you've got humans in there, there's a possibility for human error. Yeah. And we sat there as a group um, yesterday, so Monday afternoon in our afternoon group um, video meeting, and, um, you know, as usual, Bernie, Bernie Sutton would address us, and it was very clear that we were not up as a, as a group we were not up to standard and 
you know, he said that and we all acknowledge that as a, as a group and know that we need to be better than that. When we look at it and we break it down, unfortunately, on the same weekend, there were some errors from off-field um, officials, so in the bunker and then the Liam Martin Sinbin, Sinbin clock. Um, and then the other issues were then on-field. And if we look at those, well, one of the, one of the controversies was the eye gouge. And we say, well... Really, we did pick that up as a as a group. Further action could have been taken. We have the James Gavay Simbin, so we have correct Simbin just lacked a bit of uh, polish in the process of it. So really, when we I know I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm just trying to support <laughs> our group, but when we look at it, we're looking at the Simbin in the Warriors game for that professional foul, but. When you, the problem is that when you add everything together, when there's a little bit of talk about an eye gouge, a little bit of talk about uh, an incorrect process in a sin bin, we've got the bunker errors, we've got the sin bin clock error, and then we have a on-field error which leads to a sin bin. Where, and then there was another try for um, where there was a knock-on knock earlier on. in the set in the uh, Parramatta Canberra game. Then all of a sudden, all those things add up, and as a whole. It just wasn't good enough. Yeah, and, and and like I said, the unfortunate thing is we had so many, and it might have, might have only been one in each game, but because they were over so many games, it just looks you know if they were the it same decisions over us. five yeah. weeks from five different games, it wouldn't look as bad. Mm. Not that we ever want to have have errors, and and same, you know we 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 look at being as honest as we can mm. be in our own assessment of games, and as a group we know we can't have what happened last weekend happen again yeah. f- for the rest of this season. Yeah. It just it just wasn't up to the performances of NRL, you know, officials, full-time yeah. professional officials. Yeah. Um, and we'll be better for it, no doubt, because no, we, for us when we have weekends like this, it's embarrassing to us as well. Mm. It's not just the fact that, you know, we, we've made some poor decisions and it's not just the guys that were out there doing that. We as a team mm. feel each other's pain and we know those guys that have made those decisions mm. are feeling pretty bad. Yeah. You know? Other than we come in here on the podcast to talk about things and there's things where we go, geez, I wish I didn't know. Do we have to talk about this or yeah. do we have to talk about that? But it, because it feels embarrassing as a, as a group, we're all involved in it, but um, really it's, it's, it just happens sometimes. And like you said, we put our hands up as a, as a group and we look to how we can make those decisions better in the future. I just want to go on a little rant though, and it's probably not the greatest weekend to to go on a rant about you know looking after referees and and, and being nice to us, but um, coming out of the weekend and, this, and like I said, this weekend's probably not the greatest weekend to, to to jump into this, but it's happened for quite you know not just this year, it's happened for a long time in refereeing. It's probably been happening since 1908, but before we were anything in the game. You know, especially you and I, and I know every, all the other referees. We're just massive rugby league fans. You wouldn't referee unless you were a big rugby league. Yeah, fan. you don't. You don't wake up one morning and say, "I want to officiate a sport. Which sport am I going to yeah. officiate?" And you wake up and you go, "You know what? I can't play this game. I'm not good, or I'm injured, or I just want to give back. I want to do something for this game of rugby league." And that's why we become officials. My my worry is that the amount of pressure and scrutiny that we put on the officials at the top level of the game, which some people might say, well, you put your hands up, you're well paid, you know, all this, yeah. all that to do yeah. that. And you that's deserve fine. whatever you call. And that's fine. We, you know what, we probably do, you know, for, for lack of better judgment. Or it, we're yeah. big enough and well-resourced enough and supported enough to deal with it. Yeah. M- my issue stems from the fact that if it continues down this track, we won't have a game to referee because at the lower levels of the game, we are really struggling. Like, I mean, really struggling to recruit and retain young officials and, 
you know, without being disrespectful to people in our systems at the minute, I've noticed over the last couple of years, we are really struggling for quality officials to come through our systems because we lose them younger mm -hmm. because, and I, I can understand why, if they see that the top of the tree to be the best you can be in, in what they've chosen to do means you just get hammered from pillar to post because of one or two errors in a game where, you know, without... Same thing, without trying to diminish the, our responsibilities, players can, you know, miss kicks from in front and their teammates and, and media will sort of give them a pat on the back and say, oh, you know, you'll be better than that and, you know, mm. we've got to look after his mental health and we can't hammer people too much. Whereas referees, we can make one mistake in a game and just be hammered. Look, poor Jerry Sutton this week, mm. who is the top official in the game, off the back of, you know, one sort of error in his game, really, that's attributed to him. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. you look at that whole... game and we say he's missed, really? He's missed a knock-on. Yeah, well, he, yeah. so so this week all I've read, and in, 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 you know, I am one who reads papers and that, and I have to stay on top of things so we can come here and talk about stuff. Um, and so, he, he, you know, his whole ability to referee an Origin game has been questioned off the back of that when he's done it for a long time. And the last two Origin games that him and Ash Klein have officiated in have been great games of rugby league to watch. And yes, the, the, the players out there, uh, you know, take 99% of the credit for that. But if the game's not officiated well, hmm. we don't talk about how good the game is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and both Origins have been, you know, for, for, diff well. for different reasons, have been hmm. um, great spectacles. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my fear is that if we continue just to hammer referees at the top, and you know, we're, we're you know we're big you know adults and we can handle ourselves, but it's those next generation that are coming through that you know see themselves as full-time professional referees. We lose some really good officials once they get to a certain level because I think they get to a point where they go, I don't want to do that for a living. Mm. You know, when they get offered, we 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 offer contracts to people that knock it back because. Well, we've had that in the last few years. We've had about four people knock back full-time contracts. Just because they just go, you know what? It's not worth it to me. Mm. It's not worth that scrutiny for my, not only myself but my family and, and, and kids and that to go through. So, yeah, it may sound like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping up and down and, and whinging, but I just, I just really feel, as a lover of the game, I really feel that, mm. you know, it, at some stage, if we don't have enough referees for junior levels, mm. we, we, don't have footy well, we don't have players coming yeah. through then as well. well the, the other factor to add to it as well is it's not just referees who leave the game because of issues like this. It's the fact that people who wouldn't even join to begin with. That's, that's, that's another thing. Yeah, yeah that's like, because you look at it and go, like, like you say, why, why would you? And we've got, you and I have got plenty of reasons <laughs> as, as to why and, and you know, we talk to people about those things all, all the time. But it is a tough, uh, you know, a tough thing to be involved in, especially at the junior league level. And like you said, we, we are seeing in a lot of areas that we're struggling for numbers. Yeah, and, and as a parent, you get a 13-year-old kid who says they want to come and do this. Um, you'd be very hesitant to, to put your kid out there to, to deal with that, especially if you, you don't think your kid you know, is thick-skinned and, mm. and isn't the right temperament for it. And that shouldn't be the case. Everyone should be given the opportunity to go out and do it. But I know for a fact that there's parents that won't let their kids referee because they don't want them to deal with what they have to deal with yeah. week in, week out. Yep. And it, it filters down. You know, if, we, if people see that it, it happens to the NRL guys and they cop it, People on you know, Saturday morning at Lake Park at Narrabeen aren't going to care about, you know, ripping into the young 15-year-old referee as well. So yeah. I have my fears around it. <laughs> um, well, following on from that track, we will move on to some listener questions, which we um, asked for last week and we've continued to have a lot sent through to us, which is great, and we'll do our best to get through um, as many as we can each week. Um, but it leads us to one of the first questions I wanted to to get answered uh, that somebody asked us um, who wrote in and said, obviously you're all human and we all make mistakes. Do you ever realise when you're being challenged by a captain that in hindsight a decision is wrong and how do you handle the pressure 
especially if it was a critical decision for the game. Um, so with your many years of especially first grade experience, um, you know, how would you answer that? Well, I've had a few actually. There's been a few big calls. I remember a Friday night game in Brisbane where I ruled a knock-on. Um, I think it, was, it might have even been Israel Folau, um, where there was a contest for the ball, hits a hand, another pl- uh, and a player catches it and runs and sc- to put the ball down. I stand there blow the whistle because I thought it went from one player to another, constituting a knock-on. I watch the replay as we're waiting for the scrum to pack, and it's the same player who taps it, catches it again. So... Yeah, and it's a tight game, and I've made a, a pretty monumental error, and a pretty basic one when you when you watch the replay. Um, yeah, because sometimes we do get the sneaker peek at the replay, depending on where the, the screen is, if it's right in front of your eyes, and you know you, you're only human to have a look. Um, and it's a it's we've spoke about it before on this podcast. It's just about well, the only thing worse than making an error is making another one. Mm. So it's just about okay. I just we just got to break down your game and go. Okay, I just got to get through this next second, next set without an error. Okay, one more set without an error. Okay, now I've gone five minutes. Okay, let's get through the next five minutes without an error. Yeah. So it's just about working really hard to to ensure that you don't make another one. Um, another thing is that sometimes you know because it gets heated and that if you can admit to your error without actually like sometimes you know you're wrong, mm. other times you're not sure. So I often if a player comes at me and I say, look, you know what, I may have got that one wrong. That was a tight call. Yeah. It generally can soften the situation as well. So it's all about, especially with us, if we know that we've made a mistake, just put your hand up. Yeah, yep, I got that one wrong, but we can't change it. Yeah, so not not digging your heels in. Cause like on the podcast last week, Benny Cummins spoke about um, not inflaming a situation. Yeah. Uh, so if you are being challenged by a captain or, an, or a player when you know a decision was wrong or that it could, could be wrong, uh, it's about trying to placate that and just... Sometimes saying, you know, it could be, I just had to make a quick judgment on it and yeah. it looked like that to me. Yeah, I think that's something that throughout my whole career, I know coming through reserve grade, when you don't have that, you know, that, that ability to see the screen. So players will challenge you and no one knows if they're right or wrong. Just that, you know, that, that softer approach to it where, you know, instead of saying, no, I'm 100% correct because I don't know. Yeah. I, if it's a tight call that I'm not 100% correct on, that's when I will say, you know what, it could be wrong, but we've got to move on. We, we've still got... 40 minutes of this game to go or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I had another question from someone who used an, an analogy that I liked, um, asking why does it seem like we call every dropped ball um, as a knock-on? Is it like a piece of toast with jam or butter on it always lands, you know, butter side down? Um, and I thought I'd take this one because we, we had one in the Newcastle game on the weekend um, off a kick. Where, um, which was incorrectly ruled as a as a knock on, the player actually thought he knocked it on as well when it when when the decision was made, um, and then on replay it was it was incorrect. Um, I guess things happen really quickly, and I guess the thing that's hard to see, especially when the ball is close to the ground, is so if my hands are down near the ground, say they're ten or twenty centimeters above the ground. The distance that the ball moves once it hits my hand, it's really hard to see the direction that that goes in. That's an absolute split second over a small amount of distance where you have to rule. And lots of times that just, it looks like a knock-on. Yeah. So we say, rule on what it looks like. Yeah. If it's if it smells like a pig and it looks like a pig, it's a pig. And that's what we rule on. If my hands are higher up in the air and it hits my hand then I actually have, as an official, I actually have more time to see because there's distance between it hitting the hand and it hitting the ground, which way the ball has gone. So the trajectory of the ball. Mm. Um, 
and more likely we are then able to make a more accurate decision on those ones. In saying that, you also got to remember that every official is going to be in a different position. So we've got touch judges on the sidelines, but it could be a significant distance away. But then you have referees in the middle who might be closer to it, but we talk about our angles on things. And a lot of times when you're closer to it or you're in front of a decision, you actually don't have the best angle to see which way the ball has gone. Yeah, and, and the hard ones are when yeah, those ones from kicks and stuff where the ball's going one way, the hand's going the other way, and all of a sudden we've got no officials in proximity to it. They're, they're the tougher ones because you've got touch judges. You know, you've got a 40, 50-metre kick. We can't run as fast as they kick the ball. Yeah. So we, we work as, as hard as we can to get there, but then you're making judgment calls from a distance on two um, different forces. So yeah. ball going one way, hands going one way. Okay, he's, I know he's touched it. Has the ball gone through his hands? Has the ball gone straight down? Yeah. They're, they're the they're the ones that you know we, we make Can judgment calls on them when we stop and you know, and skip. They're the ones that we find that will if we are going to make an error around them. They're the ones. Yeah. I don't think we make as many errors as people think we yeah. do when it comes regarding to to knock ons and and, and knockbacks. Um, if because if we did, we'd be talking about them every week yeah. in here because they'd be Absolutely. leading to points and stuff like that. I, I just think the perception out there is that we make a lot more misjudgments on knock-ons yeah. and, knock- and knockbacks than we do. Yep. Um, another question asked was if we could explain how forward passes actually work. Um, <laughs> and I always remember this one. Uh, there was an old video that... Still floating around. Still floating around somewhere. We might try and find it and post it on one of our social sites one day of when someone's running with the ball and when they pass it, how it actually travels forward over the ground. And the way you sort of explain that is like if you're in a car and you've got a tennis ball in your hand and you hold the ball out the window and you're travelling at 50 kilometres an hour down the street and you drop the ball... The ball isn't going to land directly under where you dropped it because there's momentum there. Yes. So momentum brings the ball forward. So ju- passes aren't judged on where they travel over the ground. They're judged on where the ball comes out of the hands. In saying that, we've then also – sometimes you can't exactly see how the ball has come out of the hand because yep. – player position, your positions, all all the rest of it. So there's a lot of things we take into account. So if a player, um, if there's a short pass, it is less likely that there's momentum in that pass because it's a shorter distance. So so if it travels half a metre forward over the ground, it's more likely that it's forward. Whereas if I throw a 15 metre pass, there's more distance over the ground that it's travelled, so it's more likely that over the ground it's gone forward, but it's actually come out behind the player's hands. And we look at the player who passed the ball. Did they always stay in front of the person who caught the ball? Yeah. So if two players, are so a centre and a winger are running downfield five metres, ten metres apart from each other, both running downfield and the centre passes to the winger, if that winger always stayed in front of the uh, if, if the centre always played stayed in front of the winger, that's a good indication that the it was the momentum of the pass which made the pass go forward over the ground. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of factors into it as well. Like, like talk about momentum when a player gets tackled as they pass, it's much harder for us to judge momentum. Then yeah. that's why you talk about the player always standing in front. So we're more likely to call a pass that's gone forward across the ground as a forward pass when the player gets Hit. tackled on yeah. on pass as opposed to where that player can run through. Because they don't have momentum. Because they don't, they, they, we, we can't judge their momentum then. So there's, there's quite a few factors into that. I think the video you're talking about is called The Anatomy of a Forward Pass. Yeah, I think I it think is. that's yeah. what it's called. So yeah. if people want to Google it, they, Google that they find it. There's grids, on, there's grids on the ground and there's, yeah. 
guys throwing passes to show how forward how, the how far can forward be. a pass goes. Yeah, like at, in relative to the ground rather than out of the hands. The yeah. um, last thing that I'll touch on because we're going to have to wrap up is someone asked about um, using the using technology or using the bunker to rule on forward passes. And if we've got that technology, um, why don't we use it? Um, there's actually there, there has been a bit of investigation into that in breaking the field up into digital like grid lines and 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 stuff but the problem with that is exactly what you've just touched on with it can't take into account the player's momentum how fast they're running um as well as what angle they're running on and then that also gets skewed by if they get hit by someone so if they get tackled by someone on passing or after passing whatever it might be so it's actually really it's, it has been investigated, but it is actually more difficult than what it sounds to judge on forward passes using technology. Yeah, 100%. And like you said, we, we, if we could, we would. Yeah. Like, especially for those last passes, the tries, if we could, we would. But it just it just opens up a can of worms, yeah. like you say, because we can't take into all the elements into account when, we, yeah. when we're judging and, them. And with that, just to not add any confusion in for any listeners, um, when we talk about it, the mo- like under current policies that um, the bunker can't check for forward passes – Bat-ons are not considered passes. So if someone – so they can check – that's like a knock-on. Yes. So we see that sometimes where, um, say, uh, say, a half passes um, the ball and a centre sort of bats the ball onto the winger. People can't see your actions. Oh, sorry, you're, you're I forget, up all the forget actions, that it's a podcast. No, no one can see your arms <laughs> flailing about and all right, we're just, I'm worried you're going to throw your shoulder Imagine up. that happening. Um, then we can rule on that because um, we say there's no momentum in a bat-on because yes. – because I'm not running with the ball in possession of it, it can't have momentum. Yeah, so we can check. So we can like, check. Just that. Like it's like checking a knock-on. Knock that's just a knock-on because you can go over the ground. Exactly. All right, so we'll wrap it up there. Um, we've still got a massive list of listener questions and we'll continue to work through them next week. So make sure you stay tuned if you haven't heard your question answered as yet. Um, Badge, what are you up to this weekend? Uh, so I'm uh, up, up the road to Newcastle. So Saturday night I'm refereeing uh, Newcastle versus Warriors uh, at in the beautiful Hunter, so looking forward to, to getting up in, in, in and around the Hunter. Yeah, what sh- about your weekend? Should be a good one. Um, short round this weekend, so uh, only four NRL games. Um, this is my rest week, so I've got the week off, put the feet up, recover. Yeah. Try and get the body feeling a bit better. <laughs> uh, it's going pretty good at the minute. <laughs> um, all right. So as always, we'd like to encourage you to join our Facebook and Instagram pages. Our Facebook page is NRL Officiating and Instagram handle is at NRL Officiating. So give us a follow to keep up to date with what's happening in the world of rugby league officials across the country from under sixes through to the NRL. And if you are interested in becoming a, a referee, please visit refrugbyleague.com. And thank you for listening to this week's Refs Roundup. Bye. Thank you.